Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 355th episode of Constructed Criticism. I am your host, Mason, and I'm joined by my brand new co-host, Abe, who you might remember from our last episode. Abe is now the new co-host of Constructed Criticism. Uh, before we kind of go forward with any of the rest of the episode, I think I probably should address that, you know, Allie was the formal co-host. Allie's still a friend of the show and of mine and Abe's. We hang out with Allie all the time. But with a lot of stuff going on in life and kind of demands for the show and directions that I want to kind of move things and take things, it just wasn't really going to continue to work out. And, you know, we wish Allie all the best. And if you're not somehow not already following Mythic Mebo somewhere, which seems impossible if you're in Magic, definitely support Allie. She's great. And we were so happy for the time we had her on the show. You know, it was really hard, right? Like, when it came to Allie joining the show, Abe, me and Allie discussed it back at SCG Richmond. Uh, and, you know, and like we finalized the deal kind of in person there and whatnot. And that was like in January. And the plan was Allie graduates school in April. And then like end of April, beginning of May, that's when Allie was supposed to join. And then obviously COVID happened and it was like, well, do you want to finish all that up while doing here since you're not traveling? And do you want to like, we have to kind of figure out what we're going to do. And it was a really really hard time and tenure on the podcast i i think it's fair to say that over you know our seven years on constructive criticism it's one of the hardest tenures anyone could have ever had i know that i know that spencer feels that way from my position so i can only imagine it from Allie's. uh so thank you so much ali for the support and hard work and everything you put into the podcast we were blessed to have you on but now we move forward and we have abe stein as the new co-host of constructive criticism and abe are you excited to be here each and every week indefinitely for the rest of time to talk magic, magic theory, magic drama, magic podcast, magic soup, magic jambalaya, magic salad. Uh, and magic breadsticks. I'm <laughs> really just excited to be here. I, I said it when you had me on uh, as a guest for the last episode um, that I would have loved to do magic podcasting every week forever. I love doing it. It was so much fun. And now I get that shot. So uh, I'm really happy to be here to all the listeners out there. Uh, I hope you don't get too tired of my voice, but uh, I've got a lot to say, and and it's going to be a lot of fun. So, yeah, it's it's super exciting to have you on here. You know, you and I's friendship. This is kind of an interesting thing for like you know a little insider for the listeners here. You know, you and I didn't really know each other that well pre quarantine, right? Like we had played at an SCG, and like maybe we talked at like a table or something. I don't even really remember, you know, but like. We really didn't know each other that well, but over quarantine, I think we've become pretty good friends, and I, I really like the way you look at things and approach things and talk about things, and I think that's really valuable for our listeners, and I think you do a really good job at kind of diving into some of the stuff that is kind of the hallmark for people of CC, and you know the lineage of co-hosts in the past have all kind of been really good at this, you know, Allie all the way back to Kling, to Manfield in the middle, and so, you know, I'm glad to have you join part of the pantheon of that. And I think listeners are going to be really excited to hear your thought process on things. Um, and I'm super excited for them to hear it, especially the parts where we differ. Because, you know, one of the things I love about Abe and I's relationship, I don't know how you feel about this, Abe, is that we differ a good bit on some things. We agree really strongly on others. And the things we differ on, we can have these conversations that can be a little minutiae, as I'm, we'll talk about in my always improving moment this week. Uh, and we come out the other end and, you know, we both kind of get a better picture of where we came from and we both kind of learned a little, even if we don't agree even at the end of the convo, which I think is really great. Yeah, it's it's actually really, really funny. You just kind of like, we've really, I think, hit it off as as friends. I'm going to go on a limb and say that I think we're pretty good friends now compared to where we were a year ago. Like, we were kind of in the same, like, circles, but never really had, like, collided. 
and just our our trajectories as players and like our history, which hopefully we'll be able to pull up as examples over the course of the show and and as our content moves forward, uh, viewers will and listeners will get to see that is like we come from the opposite ends of the spectrum, but we've come to the same place. And I think that mm-hmm. like a lot of the time our experiences just line up in that kind of funny way. And um, yeah, I think that I think that there's a lot to be gained for not only for like a listener but every time we've had one of these disagreements where like we're coming from different places i feel like i'm seeing a different part of the picture that's on the other side of the bridge and i i hope that like when you get to understand my side that uh that's the same the other way so yeah i see a slightly less correct side but i get to see it and that's really (laughs) cool uh (laughs) no but yeah it's great and you know it's funny we were talking about this story the other day but like Abe and I got paired in an Urza mirror. And I didn't really even know Abe at the time that well. Like, once again, I think I maybe said hey to him or something along those lines, you know? And we're sideboarding, and Abe says something about that, like, I'm not cool or whatever, whatever. After he, like, cracks a joke, I go, I don't know, Abe. I think you look like, I think you seem like a cool dude, you know? And then there's kind of an awkward silence for a moment. I remember sideboarding me, like, I don't know, that's kind of weird, but whatever, I mean it, you know? It was a huge (laughs) sports anime moment. I definitely remember it. I was like, I was like, because you ever watch like Haikyuu and they say yeah. some of these things to, to like each other and you're like, no one would ever <laughs> say that. Who's out here being like, yes, I wish I could jump as high as you. You're so tall. Like who's who's out here on their high school sports team saying that? But it was really that, that kind of moment between competitors that I, I genuinely felt appreciated. I've always thought you're a really nice guy, not because of that, but like that was just really an example of like, man, all the good things I've heard about Mason are really true. And uh, that's just always continued. So I, I'm really yeah. excited to get to, to work with you on this end on you know the future of the podcast and where we're heading uh down the road exactly yeah i'm super excited we're you know we're gonna transition to the main topic here in just a second but we should talk about the patreon so abe and i have a couple things that we want to do and a couple things we're still hashing out but when it comes to the patreon for the show it's going to say the same for now nothing's really going to change but the plan is to have a bunch more things coming to that very soon and kind of a excuse me a little restructuring i just had a moment of puberty it's my birthday tomorrow i'm turning 28 it's the last that's the last voice crack of my life recorded on air we're not deleting that anyways uh they're gonna be a bit of a change more stuff coming more things for the listeners and really a dedication to doing that and we really want to try and build up an archive of one of our goals is like to have this archive of things that people can come to if they're new or if they're returning players they can come back to and get refresher on and so we're going to kind of work on that but i would say probably expect us to talk about it in early may uh for being announcing it yeah and uh i would just like to add that i've spent uh, some of you may know me from the time that i spent writing uh for star city games select uh, up until they got rid of the select section of their content. And um, I that's really the only magic content I've ever worked in. I, like, obviously post jokes on Twitter, but who doesn't? And uh, like, <laughs> I'm me. I would never joke all. on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, everything's 100% serious. No cap on God, 100%. Yeah, keep but, it a buck. Exactly. But, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm able to communicate. I actually really missed the, when they got rid of the Facebook comment section in my articles, it was like really good because it was just bad, but I kind of missed it. So it was good to know that people read it and I would always respond to every comment on my articles. And I really just want to open up that dialogue as we think about how we're going to move with the Patreon 
and if we're going to restructure things or if we're going to add more content, the kinds of things that if you're a listener who has been a patron forever, the kind of things that you want that make this Patreon sub even better for you. If you're someone who has been a sub previously and either isn't because of, of COVID or because it's just not right for you now, like what's the kind of stuff and what's the kind of stuff you'd be willing to, to give us that like, you know, content consumption dollar for, you know, what, what are the things that are going to, going to bring you in and have you, you know, be a part of, of our community and our content. And if you're just a listener, if you're a longtime patron, if you've never been a patron, if you've thought about it, if you've never thought about it, I would love to hear what the things are. Uh, you can, I know you can definitely DM me on Twitter. Uh, you can email the podcast, which will probably be linked down below. CCMTG at gmail.com. Yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. Go to that one. Um, or get in contact with Mason. I know he's really interested. And we all, we're, both of us really want this to be something where we're able to bring a lot of value to our listeners and we're able to, you know, just help people improve at magic and have the tools to do so. And so we're thinking of ways that we think we could do that. We'd like to hear ways that you want to know how to do that. And letting us know that is the easiest way to get the thing that you want, you know? So yeah. And uh, also I would say if there are things that other shows have done that you think are applicable to us, like a segment or a type of thing. We would love to hear that so we can yank it and then twist it into our own and say we were geniuses. But, uh, you know, but seriously, like we'd love to hear the feedback on that. So please do reach out. And that stuff will all be in the description for the podcast. So if you're on iTunes, Spotify, whatever, it's going to be there. But once again, it's ccmtg at gmail.com for it. And you can reach out to me everywhere. Uh, and my email is masonclark at gmail.com. So feel free to email me there as well. And if you're a listener, if you always want to reach out and you don't use social media because you're a healthy person who isn't addicted, then feel free to use that email. Uh, but Abe, are you excited to hop in to the always improving portion of the show? Oh, I'm always excited to always improve. Well, we ping pong back and forth here and technically you're, you were up second last time. So fire away, King. What was your All always right. improving moment this week? My always improving moment this week had a lot to do with it's actually kind of funny it had a lot to do with the events i did the worst in this weekend which were the standard uh scg like qualifiers and the the like main event on sunday but also my just my entire preparation up to it i really tried to engage with the format in the ways that i thought were like logically sound i was trying to i know mason this is gonna be a little peek behind the curtain but we spent a lot of time talking about and thinking about ways to make Ugin playable in a shell of a deck as like a way to hammer against uh, like the Naya Tokens deck that had gained some popularity that I thought would be pretty big and was pretty big. Um, My bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and then we kind of shifted gears being like, okay, this wasn't really a good idea. It wasn't working out. Now what are we going to play? And then that's how we ended up playing uh, the Naya deck that we all played. But just kind of engaging with the format and really just following through on my beliefs rather than kind of like reading a bunch of deck lists, seeing what people are doing. I was out there trying to do something. And I think I learned, I, well, I don't think I learned, I know I learned a lot from that, uh, especially about this format. But also it just felt good to spend the time and uh, really just add to my process more of an active element of, okay, these are my beliefs. Let's see if I can make them work with a deck. And if they can't, how what do those beliefs say about what else is going on in the format and what are other what other people might do and like how can i think like other people who might be trying to push it you know push the metagame a step further ahead Mm -hmm. yeah 
it, it was definitely a fun and interesting process. You know, we we talked a lot about this like basically black green Ugin deck, right? Uh, splashing our color, and it was interesting to see things from a different standpoint, but also just kind of like have conversations because we kind of reached out to other people to see if we were crazy, you know, and be like, hey, what do you think about the thesis statement that like if you get to Ugin, Ugin wins, like it beats everything else like what do you think of that statement and that was a very fun and enlightening process where did you kind of land up ultimately because like you said you know if you could sum it up into like a, a quick thesis statement why did you stay away from Ugin? because i'm sure some people are listening and like ooh, that idea does sound yeah. really good so so the reason that i ended up going away from Ugin was uh it was kind of twofold one was that i didn't necessarily feel like Ugin was everything I wanted it to be in all of the matchups I had it. It was still very good, but it just wasn't actually like able to light out a lot of the aggressive decks because of the existence of Faceless Haven, which was kind of a big problem, and I couldn't really find a good way to be able to cast Ugin minus three or four it and be protected from Faceless Haven. That's just not really possible. Um and the other thing was that for it to even work in the first place, we'd have to live in this world where the the decks that people are playing predominantly are the aggressive decks and the decks that eat the aggressive decks, uh, because those are the ones that are most vulnerable to Ugin. And your deck could never ever beat like Soltai because if they ultimate them, uh, they just go so far over the top of you. So it was kind of this like thing where I was pinched between, I was trying a little too hard to to get into to beating a certain swath of decks and then also was just so exposed to these other things and it wasn't working exactly as well as i wanted that i was ready to like roll the dice on my matchups so mm -hmm. uh, that is that is ultimately why i didn't awesome okay well yeah it was really interesting to work on that sort of thing and my always improving moment uh kind of comes from this past weekend's scgs as well so i ended up playing the uh naya's tokens deck and the fourth satellite or whatever like the late the late one on friday and they have six owing and then we kind of a bunch of us went to play the deck and it was interesting because what happened is is like we had what was it four people five if you count uh the other one who didn't make it and so we had a bunch of people talking about the deck and thinking about the deck and trying to figure out how to sideboard and we had this pretty long conversation about tangle floor hedron in the deck and Abe was really pro, like, fixing your mana uh, by playing a Temple over Tangle is what you should do. Because Tangle Florahedron is just a tap land a lot of the time in the deck. Like, there just are not a lot of portions or times where you can play it on two or even be the best play on two. And so that having a green-white dual land was really good because the deck played, like, 12 pathways and basics. So it doesn't have many duels, so it's, like, hard to actually, like cast multiple spells of the same color in the same turn so like chop down plus play giant killer on turn four as a play was really hard which is a really good play and you want to make that a lot against like other love struck beast decks and so we were trying to fix that problem and what i kind of got from it was i, I had to re kind of check in on like mana efficiency and playing your spells consistently is really strong and something we should talk about but the thing that i ultimately landed on was that the upside of a card is sometimes more important than the base level when they're very, very similar. And we kind of ended the conversation, we had like a almost an hour-long conversation, maybe more actually, about Tangle Floor Hedron versus Temple of Plenty. And we ended up with like kind of saying like, yeah, they're both very similar. Um, 
I don't think, you know, I don't think we're either like, you know, going super wrong and playing this card over that card. And it kind of made me think, well, if that's the case, I should play Tangle for a Hedron because it lets me have a more explosive draw. And I think in the past, especially at SCGs, my plan kind of was always like play decks that are solid and consistent because I need consistent finishes because I was never in like the PC race, right? Like a bunch of my SCG grinding was trying to catch up to get buys so that I could then do that. And the same thing with, with GPs, you know, I'm just trying to like get solid finishes to try and struggle to get bronze back in the day. And so I've had a lot of things where it's like I value consistency over raw power. But when it was that close, I got to remember that sometimes having a card that has more chances to have much higher upside is really important to play. And so that was my always improving moment. And yeah, then, that's, uh, that's a good one. I, I still, I don't <laughs> want to make this the Tangle Floorhedron episode, but... We could have had a Tangle Floor Hedron episode. <laughs> I, I, it's crazy to me that we're still at this point posted. All, all I'm saying is this, is that we agree that whoever did better in the SCGs would be correct. Uh, I did better than you. Bob, who also played the deck, misplaying for top eight. And someone ripped my really bad version of the deck that I 6 would with and made top 12. And they had the two Tangle Floor Hedrons. So it's probably hard to know who was right. It, yeah, it's, it's really impossible, truly. I've already conceded because I'm a man of my word and we did make that we did make that bet as to who would be correct. Yeah. Um and I just some some days you gotta take your L, so I'm holding it. No, that's fair. That's fair. Anyways, I knew that I, I also by the way, when you wouldn't craft the second Temple of Plenty with the rare wild card, it really makes me question the whole thesis of everything. You know, if you're not willing to commit, you gotta learn to oh, commit. Yeah. Okay, we don't need to we don't need to put me on blast just like that on my first episode as, a, as the co-host. I don't need to start like the hazing is not really cool anymore. I don't know how many nineties like college movies you've watched, Mason, but it's not it's it's pretty faux pas these days to hate someone like that. So, so maybe we should talk maybe my wild card count isn't everyone's business okay? <laughs> yeah that, maybe that's something that a man keeps between him and his close loved ones uh <laughs> just saying just uh you know these things they, they weigh on you in the moment when you're trying to decide your deck list at 2 a.m they really uh, do anyways uh, those are always improving moments of the show if you want to support the show you can go to patreon.com slash ccmtg you can go to patreon the show one of those perks is you get to ask questions along with joining the discord community and we got a question from adrian this week and adrian sent a message of i'm not exactly sure if this is the best way to ask this question but if you can figure it out that'd be great and the question is one of the most important skills in life is time management how do you improve on your own time management when it comes to playing competitive magic and improving your game so abe how did that kind of start for you with that question? So I think that time management is very, very important. And a lot of people have that question. And I think the answer is it's kind of obvious and kind of not obvious uh, in a way where it's like people are always wondering, like, how is it that you find all the time to be prepared for every event in the times where you're like really, you know, grinding. And the answer for me was that I just stopped doing things that weren't playing magic with my free time and that that is probably bad time management overall like I, I was probably sacrificing some things i shouldn't have but uh the way the way that the thing that always pops into my head when i think about this question of managing your time uh is actually a quote from an entrepreneur uh gary vaynerchuk and he uh he always says like if you've got time to like watch the spurs knicks game or whatever you know, if you're watching that basketball game, if you're watching that football game, catching up on the latest show, and you're not happy, he talks about business a lot, like, if you're not happy where you're at, like, the answer is that 
you're going to have to work in that time that you're spending not doing that. And mm-hmm. magic is very much the same. It's just if you want to to improve, but you also want to, you know, beat that JRPG or, you know, watch all of WandaVision in one night that when you're when you did that, you weren't spending time trying to trying to get better. And that's kind of just what it takes sometimes. Like I, I spent the majority of my life between like afternoons, evenings and nights between like 18 and like 23 at game stores, just playing magic with people. Like that was just, that was all of my free time. I stopped doing other things. I was just hanging out with my friends at game stores, jamming matches of formats or just, you know, hanging out and drafting, just engaging with magic full send. And then when I was home playing magic online, like it's just, it was that much. And so it, you don't have to be that extreme about it. I think that that's not for everyone. And if it's not what you want to do, don't do it. That's not my advice to anyone because it's kind of kind of destructive to like a normal, healthy uh, time schedule for most people. But like, uh, you know, maybe the next time you sit down and you're like, going to watch a movie, think to yourself, could I be using this time to to put more magic into my schedule? Because that's really what it is. Is like at a certain point, you can't give up work, you can't give up sleep, you can't give up food. Uh, so something's got to give, and it's the, the time you're spending not playing magic. Yeah, I, I think one of the things we talk about a lot on this show, Abe, in the past, is that knowing your goals with magic makes all this other stuff super important, right? And it makes it so much easier to figure out. Because let's say you know your goal with magic is that you want to play the pro tour in the next two years right like that's like a pretty like if you just started right now and you've been playing casual magic to go like that jump is like a is a doable jump but it takes like a lot of effort right but if your goal is like hey i just want to play good magic i know i'm never going to be the best i know i'm never going to like consistently play pro tour or something like that but I really want to improve and work on stuff, then you can know much better how to do this sort of time management thing, right? Because, like, if your goal is a second, it's like, hey, you know, it's cool. Go binge WandaVision. It's really good. Here's a pro tip. Skip the first two episodes. It's not worth it. Bam, that's more time for magic. Anyways, you know, like, that sort of thing, you can then make that sort of uh, decision. But when you're unsure, it's really hard, right? And the inverse is true too, right? Like if you want to make the pro tour in two years and want to be good enough to do that, you need to play a lot of magic. When I first started playing magic, it wasn't my first competitive card game, but it was like, and I had the basics already down, but basically my life was go to work, come home, relax for an hour. And then I would play magic from like nine to 2 a.m. every single day, Monday through Friday. And then on weekends, I would play about that much except for Saturdays where Saturdays were kind of like my day of rest because the person I played with, Trey, former co-host of the show, would go and do stuff with his wife on that night. And Trey really taught me a lot. So I literally would spend like about 35 hours a week playing Magic. And that's not counting the fact that I was like listening to podcasts, reading articles, thinking about things in my free time. I would just spend a lot of time. I don't think that's like a super healthy choice or super balanced choice. But if you want to get as good as possible, as quickly as possible, you kind of have to decide where your you know experience points where your time goes and so i think that is kind of something you need to figure out with your goals and then once you're at that point you can then make these decisions of like hey should i like be playing this much valorant at this point in my like magic time or do i need to go play arena even if standard's not this great or do i need to go do an article or something like that and when it comes to balancing like the second part of this question of like time management of like getting better at magic slash working on magic uh i think 
the kind of talked about last week with like the sideboard guides where it's like, hey, write how you think you would sideboard, then go find Reduke sideboard guide and see how you lined up, right? And doing things like that is a great way to do it that allows you to do incremental improvements and things that are helpful and could be enlightening in times you might not normally have to do it. You know, in the example last week, I mentioned how you do that during lunch, right? If you do that during your lunch break, you spend some time, you work on that. That's now some time where normally you would be just, you know, listening to a podcast, watching a YouTube video, and you're working on improving at magic. It doesn't have to be this thing where it's like, okay, Mason says I need to spend 30 hours a week. I need to dedicate all my time after work. You can figure out ways to fit things into your life and your schedule. So, Yeah, absolutely. Like every, t- every time that you listen to music in your drive to or wherever that you replace with, you know, maybe listen to a magic podcast like this one uh, or, you know, any time that you would spend watching videos that show up on your Facebook feed or watching TikTok that you spend reading magic articles instead, it's the same thing. It doesn't have to be so big and full send. It just can be like the small things, the little places where you can fit in another thing. And, you know, it's just a choice of what you're doing with your time. That's yep. that, uh, That's about it. Yeah. Figure out that goal. And then once you know that goal, and that goal can change, by the way. It's so funny. Sometimes people be like, yeah, my goal was to make the Pro Tour in two years. And it's like, I didn't get there. And, I, and it's like, all right, well, can the goal be to make it in the next two? Right? It's like, okay, that, that goal wasn't doable. Can we like, just because you didn't make your goal doesn't mean you have to give up on your goal or your dream, you know? So uh, just figure that stuff out. I think that's super important. I think a lot of problems in Magic are people don't figure out their goals and what they want to do. And that makes Magic really difficult and complicated because there are so many ways to play, interact, and do things with the game. It can be overwhelming yeah, <laughs> in so many I different directions. That's just a thing with life, though, too, yeah. is that, like, knowing what you want to do, self-awareness is so key. Like, some of the some of the things that have made Magic players some of the best people to know is that, the like, especially as you get towards knowing people who you can tell are just really good or spend a lot of time is, like, they can be incredibly self-aware about lots of things. Like, mm-hmm. I, I know... I have friends who are like, yeah, I could list my favorite like 10 characters of every media I've ever consumed of all time. I'm like, how do you know that about yourself? Like, how do you sit there and you can list those things out? And it also applies to like, they know what they want to do at all times. They know like that this is the time they set aside for this because of their big goal. And that's a thing where you spend some time sitting there really thinking about and visualizing like what it's going to take and understanding it. And if you maybe feel like you bit off more than you can chew when you set a schedule for yourself and a regimen for yourself, uh, you can reassign that time. You can just say that's too much for me. I I got myself wrong. Like you don't don't force yourself to do it. You know, but uh, but yeah, just being self aware and knowing what you want is so big, and knowing how much time you want to give to something in general. So. Yeah, I my dad always said be stern, not rigid when it comes to those things. You know, like hold yourself accountable, but don't die because you know you said you were only going to eat twice a day or whatever. Right? Like <laughs> you know, like be stern, not rigid when it comes to those things. Thank you so much for that question, Adrian. I think it was really great. I hope that was helpful for you. We'd love to hear what other patrons think in the Discord if you want to go comment there and have a conversation about it. Thank you once again for that question. If you want to support the show in other ways, go to GreyVikingGames.com. You can get MTG Arena packs and sleeves this way. You go there and you kind of buy the code from them. And then you're able to put it in your arena store where you would just put things like play Calton, for example. And you can actually get packs for a little bit cheaper sometimes with like they'll have like the pre-release kits that are like six packs of Eldrain or whatever. And they sell it for like five bucks. So if you're looking to maybe get some cheap cards and kind of build your collection, you know, it's five bucks for a wild card plus whatever you get in the packies. Go there and use code CCMTG at checkout to get 10% 
off your order. You can also go to our sponsor, Oasis Games. Oasis Games has all the singles that you need to build your Magic the Gathering deck during quarantine. But really what it means is you can have your deck ready to go once the events are done. You got your two Vaxi shots, your two-shotter. Any two-shotters in the chat, raise your hand. Oh, just me, Abe? Okay, I didn't know if you knew I had two shots. But you can get ready to play Magic tournaments post-quarantine. Uh, be excited to grind. And go to Oasis Games and use code Would that be good at checkout to get uh, 4% off every order and use code CCMTG to 15%, 15% off your first order. Wow, what a moment there. I got all my words mixed up. Abe, are you looking to get any cards soon? You got anything on your eyes? You know, I uh, <laughs> I made a tweet earlier this week about how funny it would have been to see all of the SCG grinders who don't own any Toskis because they didn't draft at all, <laughs> and it's kind of like a bulky rare, show up at like uh, an event site and be like running on the banks for Toskis. And, uh, you know, I might... I, that, that's the thing that's going to be kind of real, right? Like It's, not, it's super not real. Gonna be open. Is it going to be opened? Like, I know I've missed about every Ikoria card. Probably not even going to be legal or whatever by the time it comes around. I'm going to need my one Luris. I haven't been buying any cards because I was spending all my Star City credit at events for cards I needed. Or uh, or I was running some filthy borrows of my own from, from the LGS homies. Um, but... Yeah, so so I've got a lot of purchases to make over the last two years of cards. I'm I'm a huge own everything guy. I'm usually the one that people come to to borrow cards for like modern and stuff. Not not the one who's looking for them. So yeah, I mean, did your great hand just like seventy dollars in paper? Oh my god, I'm gonna throw up. <laughs> it, it, it's like a standard staple, or whatever, but also just like apparently great EDH, which makes a lot of sense, right? And it's just not opened, so it's just like yeah, a, I mean, it's like a bunch of money. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah I, I'm going to need at least $70 for, for well, I guess $210 for like three great hinges in case I ever play that deck. Yeah. Unless it rotates. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, also, don't forget Time Spiraling Master is dropping. I bought my Primeval Titans, so I'm ready to go. I've got everything I need from that set, but you can get those sweet new border cards if you need to get a bling. They got a little Dovin's Veto Jeskai guy, a little... I, I'm not going to get into how much I, I dislike Dovin's Veto, but I do love kind of It's kind of hard. It put me between a rock and a hard place because they can do like negate or something that I like to play. It's like, ooh. Do you ever think to yourself, I have this whole bit lined up and I got the slam dunk. He plays unplayable cards all the time and then you hit him with Dovin's Veto and he's like, not I for Dovin's Veto. <laughs> is the Dovin's Veto is a spell for people who like to counter spells not people who like to fight over spells oh sure the people that can't be wrong yeah it was actually the the anti-counter spell counter spell and i'm very pro counter spell i see counter spell purist (laughs) (laughs) well there's ways you can part the show let's go on to our main topic today standard um we're kind of at the midpoint of the standard life cycle and a lot's kind of happened, Abe. You know, right now, I think it's pretty fair to say that some of the best decks are Jeskai Cycling, Team Returns, as people call it, which is really just like an Obashi deck, and probably Naya on the lower end there. And it's funny because, you know, just a few weeks ago, decks like Mono White, Sultai, Mono Red, those were the big decks. We saw those dominate the split. We've seen them go everywhere. We've seen Naya Fury as another deck that's running around somewhere, bouncing between places. What do you kind of think of the bigger picture of the format is before we kind of hop into the individual decks? Uh, I think this format is still, at least through the, this last weekend, it's still just been in this like evolving stage, and it's been so long. It's kind of crazy to me, actually. It's been such a long time since I've seen a standard format that changes this much over time, despite the fact that there's you know, been the 
everyone's like, oh, it's probably over with like the uh, the MPL matches. Yeah, you know, like that, those were the best deck lists will be, and then we'll all kind of play them against each other and move on. But then there was still ground to be gained, and uh, we, we've really been seeing that. Yeah, it's crazy. And let's kind of hop right into you know the deck that kind of came out of there from PV and a bunch of people, and it did really well. And that was mono white aggro. It's kind of like more of a mid range deck when you play it out. But what are your kind of thoughts on mono white? Because Abe, it was nowhere this weekend. I couldn't find it when I was scrolling through melee. I w- I had the same thought when I was looking over the deck list. Is that it just was not present. And I have a few hypotheses as to why that is that I'll get into um, that are mostly from my own experience. Because I played I played uh, Mono White in the MIQ just the week before this one. Uh, and I made I made Day 2 at 7-2 and two, um, pretty easily. Uh, like, my losses were, like, to matchups that were either bad or the mirror. And otherwise, I felt like I was really just, even through matchups that looked bad on paper, I was winning a lot. So I definitely had a lot of trust in the deck. But then on day two, as the metagame had kind of become a little smarter after day one and after a little more information from the MPL matches themselves, I played against, uh, like, Naya Tokens and a lot of decks that were really just built around, like, plans that wouldn't lose so hard to, like, Season Hallblade plus Maul. And that was really rough and i think a lot of people probably just have had that experience over the last week of playing standard that it was the best deck because it was kind of eating mono red because i coming into the mpl weekend it kind of felt like mono red and was was like the the deck to play because it beat ultimatum and rogues and was like doing the kind of things where the old rule deck like the henge like mammoth love struck beast innkeeper brushfire elemental deck uh that deck had kind of fallen off because it couldn't keep up with the format. The like red was doing the Ember Cleave thing that was really good about that and kind of being mid-rangey with their creature as well. But that deck was one of White's best matchups. And then people stopped playing that because White was eating it. And we're still just kind of in this rotational cycle. Mm-hmm. Like even even to this weekend, where like cycling is probably the only deck that's been like stable. And mono white probably didn't show up because no one thought that mono red would show up you know no one thought that Sultai would continue to be exploitable by white and and also these naya tokens decks there's just a lot of other decks that came around that are really favored against mono white so i I wasn't actually that surprised that it had gone away but i was surprised to how much it had gone away like once i knew that i was getting off it i figured some other people who liked it a lot wouldn't play it but i was very surprised that so many people felt the same that, that white was not the place to be this weekend yeah, it was interesting because one of the things that I really liked about White, and I agree with everything you said there, but one of the things that I really liked was how consistent it was, like doing its thing. And I would just play the deck, and I was like, yeah, I'm doing my thing every time. It's not the most powerful thing in the world, but it's really consistent. I beat up on people because my deck's so consistent. And that's super appealing, right? Like that sort of thing draws to a lot of players, and that's like, yeah, I'll play my aggressive deck, got a little play to it. Boom, I'm kind of locking this in. And to see it not only not perform but not show up means that a lot of people, you know, kind of all came to the same conclusion that we did. They're like, hey, it's not really powerful enough, which is something that you don't always see. And, you know, we kind of talked about Mono Red there as well and how it was doing so well and pushing things out. What do you think about Sultai? Because, like, Sultai is this the one, one of the decks along with Cycling that's kind of been here the whole time, although its win rate, when we look at numbers, is never really that good. So... Why is Sultai so low despite, you know, having this in, in low on win rate but high in representation? Like, what's kind of going on there? It's really confusing and weird. Uh, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I think 
that the delta between the Sultai lists that are winning in this format and are losing in this format, as far as deck construction goes, like how prepared they are for the cards that are being played, which is a really broad spectrum, mm-hmm. uh, like is, is really high. And and so like a really good Sultai deck, like if you look at the uh, the Insight esports event, mm-hmm. like Corey Baumeister won that with Sultai. And obviously, Corey Baumeister, a very good Magic player. Uh, you know, probably better with a Sultai deck than most. Uh, fair thing to say. Eh, probably, uh, probably. <laughs> Just a platinum pro at one point, no big deal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then also, it had some appearances in the top, like you know, the the seven two bracket of the SCG, like a handful. But I think those lists are probably just like being built better. The the flexibility of the removal packages to answer the format makes it so it's the kind of deck that can't can't go anywhere, right? Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I also think I know how much you agree with this statement. I think a lot of people like that kind of deck where it's just like I trade and then I have this card that you can't really beat, you know, and I feel like I've really done it. You know, and you kind of go over the top of everyone at the same time. And those decks don't often do both those things. I think that's really appealing to a large swath of players. Despite, I think, the deck being actually not very good. Yeah, I, I have a hard time saying it's not actually very good. There's something that sticks with me from... It was like Dylan Donegan repeating something that Brad Nelson said about, like, the Sultai Wild Growth Walker deck with, like, Hydroid Crisis. Mm-hmm. That standard, and he was like... I was talking with Brown on Facebook, and he was like, Dylan, when's the last time that... Mid that like the control deck was the most busted deck in the format. Never. When was the last time that the mid range deck was the most busted deck in the format? Oh, always. And it's like you know when you think about it, like if you are this like deck that just gets to play all of the good answers and all of the good threats in some capacity, like if you're able to just get to casting a Gargaroth, that's going to beat a lot of people. And if you're going to get to cast an ultimatum, that's going to beat a lot of other people. Your deck can cover a ton. So it's hard for me to say the deck's actually bad but it's definitely not like you know unbeatably good or anything it's it's just it's consistently hitting the ceiling of of the format and power level when you when you cast ultimatum and you go and find like vorniclex alrun's epiphany curabest the sea god no one's beating that realistically right so yeah that's fair that is fair people I... are drawn to the deck but but i don't think it's for like i don't think it's just be on a playstyle thing i think the deck is legitimately not much worse than like it's not losing too much to too much. You know, sure. like there's not many that are really exploiting it. There's not a deck where it's really a huge dog outside of maybe like rogues or something. Rogues, yeah. I, I, th- I think it's not favored against Night Attraction, but it's not like a huge unfavored. I feel like Sultai specifically has cards it has problems with, less so than matchups outside of rogues, if that makes sense. I usually agree with that. And that's why I said the thing about the deck being constructed well, is that mm-hmm. if you look at a lot of the adaptations by the Sultai players this weekend. I know that whenever I, because I was playing the Naya deck alongside you, whenever I looked at my Sultai opponent's deck list, I could see cards like Erebos' Intervention, more Extinction Events. Um, I saw an opponent who had that legendary Karavik, I think, the legendary creature that gives things minus one, minus one. Uh, Mogus's uh, Favor, the plus two, minus one as yeah, well. I just saw a lot of things that were targeted at the card Toski, so that, because Toski was kind of this card that was targeting the weakness of the Sultai deck that it was leaning a lot on Shadow's Verdict, because that's what all the aggro decks were to, you know? So it's kind of this, like, this cat-and-mouse, like, threat-and-answer game that was going on in the format for a long time, Mm -hmm. and 
if if Soltai can kind of like land itself on top of that, it gains it gains back what it's losing to that one card selection choice that's kind of punishing the matchup. And so while of course they're an eighty card deck that has to draw one of their like three teched cards over seeing however many between their omens and their draw steps. Uh so it's not guaranteed, but but it does it does undo some of that, right? Sure. That's totally fair. Yeah, it's funny, it's like I I think I used a poor choice in bad. I think I probably a better way to say it is overhyped. Like I think the Sultai Evangelists are really high on it. Um, oh definitely. You can never you can it's like Jun guys. You can never rip the Jun deck from them. Yeah. They they, they get really high on like, oh this deck can cover everything and beats everything. I I just I don't think that's exactly true because I think you do have to play those tech cards and you're not very good at finding them. So, you know, be that way as may. We have talked a lot about this Nia Traction deck, the token deck that we both ended up playing for the weekend, but we haven't really covered it as like a deck. So can you tell the listeners a bit about this deck, Abe? Yeah, so this deck is, uh, it, I think it's usually referred to on Melee if you go and look it up as uh, Nia Adventures, but there's a couple of those because there's like different builds. But this one is the one specifically around clarion spirit and uh Jaspera sentinel as kind of the the linchpin cards that make it very different from the other decks where your game plan like your plan a is to just make a bunch of tokens and have a bunch of cheap creatures so you're probably one of the better early game edgewald innkeeper decks because it's very easy for your deck with uh Jaspera sentinel and with clarion spirit to get even more value out of your innkeepers quickly and then you're like 12 adventure creatures between giant killer bone crusher giant and love struck beast and then you have these haymakers that leverage you having this board in play already that you've grown from just kind of developing your card advantage which are showdown of the scald which obviously one of the better ways to to get card advantage in the format and also to leverage a board position in the format when your cards are also cheap um and toski bearer of secrets which is the the little squirrel that could that attacks every turn and is indestructible and whenever any of your creatures connect for damage uh, on the opponent you get to draw a card for each of those creatures so uh, it, it turns a deck that otherwise is kind of not doing enough making a bunch of like small bodies that aren't putting a ton of pressure on the opponent into a ton of pressure by snowballing ahead with either growing them disproportionately with showdown or by just drawing more cards and putting more of them out there with with toski yeah yeah and this is a deck that you know like i said i ended up playing and so did you and <laughs> it was funny abe you know i, I played that one uh scg and i 6-0 did and i was the only 6-0 from the event and a lot of people picked up the deck and a lot of people really liked it um and it was super fun to play but i do think that deck has some real problems that are exploitable like, I think you can target and beat this deck if you want to. And I think it's a lot harder than a lot of people think it is. I, I watched a lot of streams and a lot of people play the deck. And there was a lot of things where it's like, you kind of miss sequence here, you kind of did that here. And it's one of those decks that really leverages high synergy over power. And while you do have some cards that are super powerful, like the Adventure cards and Showdown, you do play a lot of other cards like Clarence Spirit, Jasper Sentinels that are not. And you can't really give up those points in that deck like this. And so it's a deck that I think people's opinions on ranges so drastically and so heavily because of that nature and so it's a deck that's really kind of hard to pin down in the metagame where it is but i think it's on the upper echelons but not like the best deck or anything yeah and i think it's a deck that also it 
a lot of its strength to me and why I chose to play it was that I thought people would still be playing like mono white and mono red or more of these decks or like more Sultai I would play against than I than I did. And it's one of those decks that it's just so sticky and it's so resilient because of how many ways it has natively to get card advantage and how many ways it has to present several creatures in play and leverage them that it's it's really good. But, you know, if the metagame continues to not have mono white in it and like has more cycling and more like rogues and stuff, it you're not going to the deck's not going to go anywhere, but it's certainly not going to be as good as it was for like the qualifier that you six owed or as good as it was uh, a week ago. Like the, yeah, exactly. For, for like the MIQ where Mm -hmm. I think it was really well positioned because most of the format was these aggressive decks. And and it just speaks so much to how good the standard format is and how Mm -hmm. deep it's really getting that the, the deck that was good last week is, is like, you know, kind of on shaky ground as whether or not it's good this week. Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of that, you know, a deck that was pretty good a couple weeks ago and has kind of fluctuated, uh, fluctuated and varied from person to person is the Naya Fury deck. You know, it's the fling deck, the double your dragon deck. Uh, what do you think about that deck in the format? I haven't played that deck at all. I know that you have. I've played against it a couple times, and I think that there's kind of this void in the format left by, uh, left by like gruel as it was that needs to be filled and i think that this was like the first deck that responded to that need by playing some of the same cards Mm -hmm. where it was like okay like how do we overcome the problem that the sultai decks that normally we were preying on like the the slower controlling decks by just being able to clock them with haste threats how do we get past the fact that they have a card that just wins the game when they cast it for seven mana and their answer is to use Goldspan Dragon, which is incredibly powerful with two-mana interaction, uh, to play like that with Sajiri Shelter and uh, like the Unleashed Furies and stuff, and kind of like have this one-turn kill potential that that really speeds the game up. Um, but I don't really have like many big opinions on on how good or bad the deck is moving forward because I just don't know. It seems like it it's in a good spot because Sultai is still around and I think that matchup is supposed to be pretty good for you. But what do you think about it? Yeah, I agree. I agree with a lot of that. Um, I think that one of the things that I thought would happen, you know, I wrote an article for card kingdom last week. That was the standard tier list 2.0. And I put, uh, Naya and mono white as like the A tier decks. And I kind of regret it because I thought they would stick around. I thought they would still be pretty good choices. But I think what happened is, is that all the decks I put at B, were actually just better against the decks that I thought were higher, and they kind of swapped. And I think the biggest one of those is Cycling. And I think we're going to talk about Cycling here in a second. But I think that deck really punishes this deck by having such a good way to clog the board up and kind of take these wins from you. And so I think the Naya deck kind of suffers there, and so does Gruul, and so does a couple of the other decks, like Naya Traction, uh, the token stick that we talked about a second ago. And I think that that kind of keeps us down. And if people adopt and figure out how to beat cycling and kind of play the cards that actually beat it more than just soul guide lantern and kind of attack its plans i think naya fury could be really really good but for right now i think it's just kind of another fine deck and i think that's kind of one of the hallmarks of this format it's just a bunch of fine decks but the fury deck kind of takes a spot of gruel and you know i think i was talking to you or ginger about this but when you see gruel kind of leave part of it's because of its clunky draws and the naya deck has that same thing but it tries to mitigate some of that clunkiness 
by playing Unleash Fury as a way to like kind of one shot them. You know, you never have like the Ember Cleave grindy games. But what also happens is, is you get to play these sort of games where you kind of have some threats and you threaten to kill them out of nowhere, right? Via a Kazu, uh, Kazandu Fury or Unleash Fury, and maybe together too, and that kind of domes them out of the game. And I think that sort of game plan of like, hey, I'm gonna like sit here and wait and hit you with my Shepherd of the Flock. It's a four-two because of a pump spell, you know, or because of like a showdown. And I'm gonna kind of dig you a couple times. Isn't actually that good right now. And that game plan needs to be kind of good for this deck to be really good in my mind. So that's sort of where yeah. I'm at on it. There's a lot of times with that deck where if you get your dragon like a heartless act is pointed at it, or at your love struck beast, and you're you have like some open mana. Your opponent can just be taking ten. It's just not. <laughs> they're like they're like, all right, kill your thing. They're like I'll get a treasure, uh, fury it, get a treasure, fling at you, and you're dead now. And they're like, wow, that that isn't what I expected. So, it, I think it's something that still has a lot of room. There was also that Mardu deck that took the same idea and kind of put it in the red black shell. Yeah, but I think that between that and then there's also the Naya like closer to traditional gruel with Henge and everything. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a Henge v. Scald deck building, uh, deck building decision right now that's going on. Yeah, in in the Naya hive mind of like, okay, are we going to be this deck or are we going to be like, is Cleave better and like the the other part of the creature package than having this kind of like cute synergy? But I saw that deck a, a good amount this weekend mm-hmm. uh, performing. So yeah, it, it did pretty well this weekend, but I think it really has a problem with like the ground getting clogged up or like it getting not able to like hit you for some because really you very rarely get like to double unleash fury or unleash fury and then fling them after you've hit them that just doesn't happen too much in this format i think that leads to some more disjointed draws than you would like with your cards and i think we really need to talk about cycling to kind of talk about this so i'm gonna i'm gonna cover cycling real quick here and say i think cycling is one of the best decks and it's funny because before I even played the Naya deck on Friday, I was talking to our friend Bob, who got 13th at the SCG playing the Naya deck on Sunday. And I was like, he was like, yeah, I think Cycling's the best deck, or like the deck to play. And I'm like, yeah, it's probably better than Naya, but I like playing Naya more, so I'm going to play Naya for the satellite, you know? And I ended up still playing it on Sunday. But the Cycling deck is really good at clogging the board up, but also kind of like aggroing people out. And the addition of Improbable Alliance, which is the two-mana enchantment that makes a fairy after you draw two cards in a turn, and then Ironcrag Pyromancer, which is the three-mana 0-4 that deals three to any target after you draw your second card, those additions to the deck make the deck not this all-in aggro Zenith Flare deck that it was eight months ago. And so people think that they can just play only Soul Guide Lanterns, and that will beat this deck. And then they play against it more and they realize, oh, I can't actually do this. This deck actually is resilient to hate. It has a bunch of different plans now. It can clog the board up while it works towards the Zenith Flares. Or it can clog the board up while hitting me with a big Flourishing Fox. Or hitting me with a Draineth Stinger off Cycle Triggers. And I think that dynamic hasn't been caught up. And people aren't preparing for cycling like that. So we're seeing cycling kind of dominate and crush over these last two weekends. Because people are leaning on old heuristics. And they're not taking the new stuff and really looking at it. And it hasn't been widely adopted. And I think that sort of gameplay dynamic has a real strength against Naya and it does a really good job of holding Naya back and until Naya adopts cards that can actually beat Improbable Alliance or Ironcrag Pyromancer uh, while also having things for Zenith Flare if you think you can you know race them quick enough once you answer one of those other cards I just think the the Flare deck's going to keep it too far down along with the other matchups I think are bad for Naya Um, and like, like we said before the good matchups are just kind of 
falling out a little bit or not as prevalent as before. Um, yeah, I think it was really funny how many times this week we would talk about cycling with, with people and they'd be like, confidently say something about the deck and just be wrong about how it's currently being constructed. And I think that's kind of like this thing that happens to everyone sometimes when these decks have these big like breakthroughs in, in construction and like breakout performances is that you hear like, oh yeah, I could see like how that old cycling deck with the Zenith layers and everything is like well positioned. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. And then they look at it and it's like, wait, they have this O4. They actually can kind of like just control the board with it or use it as this like sulfuric vortex over time to just dome me over and over again. And like they're playing blue red draw to <laughs> like what? Yeah. So uh, I, I just thought that was, that was funny. And I think that kind of an, an overall format dynamic that is really like looming over this entire conversation to me that I've noticed is that like last week and during the MIQ weekend and for the MPL thing, it was like, okay, what's the aggro deck we can play that's going to be good against the fair decks. I think people would be bringing, especially for the MPL matches, the fair decks people would be bringing, but also good against the aggro decks that I think other people will respond with. And a lot of people chose mono white because mono white is very good against soul tie and very strong against the other uh, the other creature decks, mm-hmm. but I found after, after playing a bunch with mono white that like cycling is the deck you want to bring if you want to be able to beat all of the aggro decks and then all of these like step up kind of like decks that are preying on the aggressive game plan. Yeah, you know, it's kind of this rock paper scissors, and I think that when we look when we look ahead. Like, what does that mean for cycling? What does that mean for something else? We'll get to in a bit, but, like, it's just kind of very interesting to me how all of these decks have their roles in the format of, like, where they're trying to eat someone else alive, you know? Mm-hmm. Where it is they're trying to trying what? to take their, their spot in the metagame and if, hold it. And where are they they're trying getting to steal? Ahead. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. like where, 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 is these, where are these win percentage points coming from, you know? Yeah. And I think one thing, too, to kind of mention that we haven't really talked about uh, directly, but I do think affects the format a lot, is that it's really hard to go over the top of Sultai and also at the same time not get eaten by Sultai, if that makes sense. Like, if you go, to, if you try to go over Sultai, you can't because all these aggro decks are, like, in part of the format, right? So it's really hard to get greedier than Sultai. And then if you want to be slightly greedier than the aggro decks you can't beat Sultai Ultimatum. Like, the packages are just too strong. So it puts a lot of weird pressure on the format to actually be condensed at the lower aggressive decks because we kind of have this late-game deck that we can't go over. Like, if you go too high trying to beat Sultai gamers, like we tried to with Ugin, uh, while also beating these people, you just get eaten alive by Sultai, right? Like, you you just you're get too much pressure on the top. And so what really I think happens is there's the people who always play that top deck, you know, and they kind of keep everyone else in check. And then everyone else is trying to figure out, all right, where do I want to be in the rat race of aggro decks, like you mentioned. And I think it's a really weird dynamic for a format because it feels like it's really rich and we feel like all this stuff. But really, we are playing like nine different aggressive decks. And then there's this controlling mid-range deck at the top end. So it's there a is weird also, uh, there is another deck that's worth noting in that, which is the only other deck I think that tries to fight on the axis of being like the mid-rangey kind of thing. It doesn't try to go over the top, but the, the teamer Obosh deck does, I think, really try to contend with Sultai in terms of, of advantage, right? 
That's true. It kind of does. So what are your thoughts on that deck? Because I wanted to ask you about that anyways. Uh, I think that that deck is... If we were to lay out all the decks and say, like, point A is the most aggressive or, like, lowest to the ground and, like, point B is the highest to the top, Teamer is kind of in this interesting spot where I'm not sure how high above, like, a Naya or Gruul deck I should put it. And I'm not sure how far below the Sultai deck I should put it. Because there are a lot of games where they just cast a bunch of Alrin's Epiphanies and have, like, a Bone Crusher Giant in play or something and just clock you or have like gold span dragon into into whatever and then like alrin's epiphany and clock you and it's kind of the evolution of the red snow decks from the very start of the format i think where we see like saw it coming coming into play to combo with dragon because it's an odd cost card that can like cost two or like it works well with bone crusher giant and with brazen borrower uh which it, it did in that blue red deck as well Mm. Um, but it's kind of answered the problem it was having with Lovestruck Beast with its own Lovestruck Beasts, you know? Yeah. Where it's like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna not die to that by blocking with mine. And, uh, and I think it still has like one or two copies of Henge, right? Or am I... Um, I, I think it varies. I, I think, I think a lot of people have just opted to play a bunch of Aleron's Epiphanies as like their go-over okay. card. But I, yeah, I have so, seen some Henges. So it's kind of trying to like be over, and I think... It's honestly one of the weaker decks that's still present in the format. Like no no hate to any of the teamer lovers out there, but I I'm just not I'm not buying into it because I think that it's really caught but it, it it's in this weird zone, right? It, it's so caught in the tension of being just high enough over these ag- these aggressive and mid-range decks in doing this epiphany plan, being able to like but but being able to stay low enough in their range to like not get run over by them, but then also staying powerful enough to keep up with a deck like Sultai um, is is really tough. It has uh, a real so, identity crisis at times. Yeah, it does, and and it's definitely like a real testament to how good adventures are as cards. Yeah. <laughs> they are like, so good that we've banned so many cards that say adventure on them, and it's just it's just still so good. Like it's still it's still a, a deck that's in the conversation that people like to play. And you'll definitely play against on ladder. You'll definitely see put up some results. It was in the top eight of the Insight event. I know um, it put up some results. Uh, I think it was in the top twelve of the uh, SG event as well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's still out there. It's still hunting. I think it's just not. It's kind of got this problem that a lot of decks that people like a lot but they never really realize why it is it's not doing as well as the other decks and they try to like tune and tune and tune to be right is that you just you can't beat everything man like it it you can't actually there's sometimes there is no mythical butter zone to exist in where you're you know buttery and flaky as a pie crust you know it's, it's just not you can't have it all yeah. and and that deck is really trying to have it all with this combination of like oh some draws all like stomp into bone crusher and then like dragging you and some draws i'll sit there and i'll bounce your thing and then play a three one and then hope i'm not dead yet <laughs> you know like yeah saw it coming your spell stomp your other thing hit you with a three one like it's just it's too it's too disjointed and it also it has some weirdly hard times with decks that you think it wouldn't like i i when we started on this ugin journey we mentioned before i thought wait instead of trying to like control things because we try to play a more grindy version like get there i was like what if we just put it in the obosh shell you know like we take out obosh 
we take out some of these Alarons Epiphanies and stuff, and we just play a game that gets to Ugin, and, like, that's the new game plan, you know? And I think Ugin and Alarons Epiphany weirdly play out similarly in that sort of deck, or similarly, and it just doesn't work out a lot of times. Like, you just have these draws, and you look at all your cards, and they're all good, and you seem like it'd be good, and your opponent, like, Skyclave Apparitions, your Bone Crusher Giant, and you're just like, oh, that kind of sucks. Like, I kind of needed that. I kind of kept the hand to do that. And then you're like, oh, they, like, just trade it with the annex. Like I have to block it. That's really awkward. We're like, oh, I have to like bounce this flourishing fox. That sucks. There's a Dranith Stinger apply. You know, like you just you have a lot of things that seem, when you think about it, are going to be insane and line up really well and give you all these different gameplay options and would cover everything. And then you play with it and you're just like, that's I was so wrong. I, I need I need to get off this boat now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, and like it could line up like that. Like yeah, your draws can always line up because your cards are good. Yeah. And I think Epiphany is doing a good job of replacing, because there's no place for it in the format anymore. Last format we saw, there were the Genesis Ultimatum decks that were like, okay, this is our answer rules. We're just going to slam the door on them with this card. Is that the Sultai Ultimatum decks have uh, taken over that position in the metagame where they're like, yeah. this card slams the door on you every time. Doesn't ha- doesn't ever miss. I don't have to play all these bad cards. Uh yeah. Like, I don't have to put Terror of the Peaks in my deck that I don't want to ever cast the Terror of the Peaks. Like, I only want it... I want it to come and play with other things because it's so fragile. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's kind of like Aloran's Epiphany is now the, like, well, I need to do something when I get to this late game that's going to end the game, but is a little more consistent to keep up with the consistency of the decks above it. And it's just trying to do too much, man. It's just... It really is. It's so much. Last deck, Rogues. It got Always second there. in the SCG. It feels like it's only really good matchups. Like, it's good matchups are White and Sultai. We saw White go down. We saw Sultai kind of continue on its normal path that it seems to always be on. What are your thoughts on Rogues? I, I'm going to give a little spoiler. We're going to talk about what we were going to play in the future. I think Cycling is kind of the deck to start with this week. Start with this week. And kind of, like, either you're beating Cycling or you're playing Cycling type thing. And Rogues has such a hard matchup there. And, you know, we did see it lose to that ultimately. So what do you think about Rogues? I think that it, it's kind of hard to explain. I mean, maybe it's not that hard to explain. I think the rogues, the players who uh, who wound up because both of the both the big tournament, the Inside Tournament and the Star City Tournament, the finalists were rogues players who had otherwise otherwise basically run the table, mm-hmm. uh, and like. In the context of a format where everyone's talking about playing like mono red. Uh, which is still like one of the best decks and gets to play Ox of Agonis. Like there's just a lot of there's a lot of hate for rogues cards and people's sideboards. I know that we opted to cut our rogues hate like because we're like, well, rogues just isn't that well positioned. There's all these aggressive decks that we're trying to like we're, we're trying to beat up. So like the rogues decks just aren't going to be good because there's going to be all these aggressive decks. But rogues is pretty good against Sultai. It does have the like counter counter flash game plan and it also is just a deck that is really rewarding if you play it well and draw a little well so i I think it's like totally reasonable to me that a really solid and competent rogues player uh on any given weekend could succeed but you are signing up at at a disadvantage i think in the format still despite those showings I, i think that you're not you're not favored against the red aggressive decks for sure you're not favored against cycling 
and you're only favored by a little bit against uh, against all the other decks, and all those other decks could see that Rogues is doing well and start putting like more escape cards in their sideboards. It, it, I think it's more of a dredge-y thing. Maybe that's just my, my bias from from not playing any cards for the Rogues matchup this weekend. But I think it's more of a more of a dredgy thing where people might have not been ex- like respecting it as much because it's been on the down. It doesn't look like it's in a good spot in the metagame. Plus the fact it still does hold very good matchups in the decks that don't go away. Yeah. Uh, sometimes like Mono White or Sultai or I think probably the Naya decks, like the Naya Fury decks, and definitely the Naya Traction deck is a little closer if they if they build their deck to respect it. Than yeah. it might seem on paper. So, yeah, I think. It, oh, sorry, do you want to finish that real quick? Yeah, my last point is: if you're a rogues player out there and you're like you've just no life to rogues and only play it, like keep going, man. Just do it. Your rogues is rogues is never going to be that bad. I think. I think rogues can't be worse than forty five in any matchup. Yeah, it it does have a hyper mana efficiency that like other decks are going to have issues with for sure. And my my thought is if you. If you've been no lifing rogues, then maybe that's the thing to do if you don't want to widen your range or whatever. But if you're thinking, should I pick up rogues? Um, like Abe said, like I think a good player could always do well with rogues. But I think if you are a good player and you play pretty tight and stuff like that, you could get further with a different deck. And so I would not suggest playing rogues. Uh, as much as I hate to say that, because I do love that deck. And I think it's one of my favorite decks I've played in a while. Um, I find it super fun. Makes me sad that I can't say to play that. But Abe, I kind of already talked about this. We're kind of wrapping up here. What we would play if we had to register right now for a tournament. I'm kind of I'm on cycling. I just think people don't actually have the cards that beat cycling. They think they do, and they just all get stomped. But I want to go. I want to go a little bit, if we can, a little bit above and beyond what we'd play. What What do you think the top three are next week? Like, where do you think the metagame settles after a week? So, so I think I agree with you. I think that cycling is a great choice, right? Now. I think that as things stand, cycling is in a good spot. I'm not sure that Sultai can't come up with a plan to beat Sultai. I'm not sure a uh, plan to beat cycling. I'm not sure that Mono Red like can't do it. I'm not, you know, it, it, yeah. it's, it's hard. Yeah, I think I think if you're a green base deck, you have some of the tools you need to beat cycling. Like cards like Gym Razor are quite good against them, right? Like. You get a big burst in power, you can answer Improbable Alliance, and you have this way to break through the army of 1-1s if they get stalled, and you get bigger than they can really answer outside of a Zenith Flare. So, like, there's cards like that you could play, and other things to interact with the matchup beyond just Soul Guide Lantern. And I think it really, there's, like, this kind of this split point history that gets decided right now, right? Where people either start respecting cycling, and play cards that can actually beat cycling and form plans that actually beat it and not just like, lol, I got your fireball to do zero damage versus people who don't. And depending on where we go in that timeline depends on what decks are the top. I think if people continue on the path they're on right now, like the mass public, I think cycling's a solid top three and where it falls in that kind of depends on what other people do with that information. I think beyond that, I'm kind of thinking Sultai might be like a third or a fourth, depending on how you build it, if you can figure out what the other two decks would be that are kind of the top decks. And I think Mono Red, or maybe, maybe Naya, like the Adventure deck, uh, where like you play Great Hinge and stuff, might be kind of good as a way to attack the metagame and still pressure the Sultai decks and hope that they like have to do some weird stuff to beat Cycling. But I'm not exactly sure beyond that. I need to think about it more. Um, yeah, I, I think that 
I actually agree with a lot of what you said. I think it really depends on what decks like wind up falling by the wayside in, in a couple of things. Like if Sultai decides the deck it no longer has to respect is, you know, like the if it no longer has to like respect Questing Beast so much or something and it starts playing like the cards where it's gaining and cycling is just bad against something in Gruul or like the Henge plan or something. I don't know what it would be. For what it's worth, Questing Beast is not the card that's good against cycling. Like, when I talk about cards that beat cycling, that's That's why I'm a huge believer in that Nia Adventures deck, too, because I think Questing Beast is part of the answer if cycling is the thing. Yeah. But I I think it's like. I think I'd have to say that the three best decks, if I was like, I'm just going to pick a deck this, like, right now from last week, and I'm going to play it next week, and that's what's going to be. I'm personally going to play Sultai because I have not played a standard mid-range deck in so long and I just kind of want to. Sure. Like, it just kind of feels right. I just want to cast an ultimatum and, I, like, be <laughs> I the person wait. who gets to cure the best of the Sea God people. I cannot wait to make fun of you when you have to, like, Jawari Disruption but you need a land but you have to. I, by the way, I don't know if anyone's ever won with Sultai with a Jawari Disruption a thing. I feel like that's the point where they're like, ooh, I kind of have to, but I don't want to with that deck every time. Yeah. I'll just be screaming about how I wish it was Temple of Deceit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, this is a temple, I'd hit my curve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that I think I'd either be between that or cycling. Cycling is also pretty interesting. I really do like decks that are like they're kind of I, I liked affinity for a long time for this reason, but it's decks that just apply pressure in really weird or like uh unique ways. I think so cycling is a deck where like you're kind of getting bled out by Stinger some games. Sometimes you're just put in a, in a spot of beat Fox or die. Sometimes you're just dying to a bunch of 1-1s. One Sometimes you're, like, trying to do the math around Zenith Flare. There, there's a lot that goes on there. Yeah. And so I, I think I'd be between one of those two decks, personally. Yeah. Play things that beat Cycling, and this won't be our future. But, you know, Questing Beasts, things that blow up enchantments, things that interact with the graveyard profitably. These are all things that you could do in order to win you could play Ember Cleave. These are things that we can do. So yeah. we gotta figure something out. If we're gonna, if you want to not be playing cycling, it's kind of where I'm yeah. At. Hit up your friend who you know, you know, probably doesn't play a ton, but probably drafted a bunch of Vicoria back when we didn't know what was on with COVID. One of those people who just drafted all the cycling cards to get to Mythic, and you know they probably have the deck. They could probably throw it together and jam against you, and you can figure out what you think is the best way to beat it. Exactly. Get in the lab again. Or net deck someone who beats it on the satellite on Friday or Saturday, and then the deck becomes a bad choice by Sunday because the SCGs are super, oh my gosh, this thing did good, a bunch of people hop on it. Yeah, As super I can, FOMO. Yeah, super Also, people like really like Sixos is what I've learned, by the way. I got a <laughs> lot of, like, this deck was awesome. And I think it's partly that the Toski deck is really fun and cool to play and has a bunch of cool cards. But a lot of people were really attracted to that deck, so a lot of people played it, and the deck's strong enough that they got kind of far. And people like really adjusted for it, so that that's a, a little you know if you're playing the SCGs, pay attention to what six O's because if it kind of comes up a bunch where it's a cool deck, people really love to gravitate towards that. It's, oh, it's sort when of I wild. talk about Mardu Dragon, uh, Mardu Dragon being the the six O deck that people are going to gravitate towards. I'm crazy and no <laughs> one's going to talk about it. But when you six O, everyone suddenly wants to play it, I, and that's and that's the thing we should be considering. I I see you, Mason. All I'm saying is that that actually happened, and it seemed to be the case. So uh, get got Mardu Dragon person. That seemed really cool, but no one went to play it, so yeah, I don't know what happened. Smart. I, if I had the wild cards, I'd be throwing it together. I might play it on mode a bit. It was a really really sick idea. If you listen to this podcast, please let me know. You're awesome, Abe. If someone wants to find you, where can they go? Uh, they can find me on Twitter.com 
slash more nothings m-o-r-e-n-o-t-h-i-n-g-s that's the best place to reach me awesome if you want to find me you can go to twitter.com at mason e clark you can find me at twitch and youtube at the mason clark on both of those sites respectively and i write for card kingdom each and every week on thursday normally covering the arena format of choice but i'm hopeful to cover more modern in the future when covid's over so it's gonna be exciting times so make sure to check all of that out yeah. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Constructed Criticism, and we'll see you back next week for another episode.